getting married. Whether it's your first or your fifth, you are excited to start a new chapter with that special someone. With new chapters come new finance conversations you might not have covered before your I do's. Instead of walking down an aisle of questions and concerns, talk over these money issues with your fiance. Debt. Whether it's student loans, credit cards, car loans, or a gambling habit, most people have some sort of money baggage that tags along to the altar. Income. If only one spouse is working or one spouse earns more than the other, it can be easy for the spouse with more money to initiate a power play and dictate how money is spent. Don't rationalize the idea. It undermines the couple working as a team toward common goals. Yours, mine, and ours. Some money habits are so divergent, couples split their expenses and accounts to avoid arguments. It's not a panacea. Find a way to create a win-win. For more great resources to help you create unlimited wealth and happiness, visit our website at crackingyourmoneycode.com. I'm Heather Wagonhals. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. Welcome to the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Keeping it all the way live. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were a term, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Daddy hey Jiggy, what's happening, man? It must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my trick shots there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to hour number three of the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Seven minutes after the hour, we've got Donald Mazzella and Dan Perkins on deck. We're going to get to them here in a few moments. Thanks for tuning in to the Jiggy Jaguar radio program from the KJAG Radio Studios in Hutchinson, Kansas. We're live as live can get to Central, 3 Eastern, Gulf Pacific, and 1 p.m. Mountain Standard, 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com. 50-plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world. 267-22-JIGGY. And, of course, our premium podcast is available commercial-free, $5 a month at JiggyJaguar.info. Today's edition of the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio broadcast, at least an hour number three here, is brought to you by our good friends over at Indiegogo.com. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Chuck Yula 254. It's a culinary incubator in Nairobi, Kenya. They're creating spaces for food entrepreneurs to work, explore, and grow, driven by passion and community. Brenda Malua Odul is with us today. She's got a fantastic campaign. In April 2015, they founded Chuklula 254, a startup and food incubator in Nairobi, Kenya. The passion is what drives them. Their mission is to create a safe, dynamic, and well-equipped space where food entrepreneurs can thrive. The problem in Nairobi, it seems, is though everyone sells food. There are all types of food vendors, from ladies selling fish by the roadside to foodies working out of home kitchens and international restaurants in the beautiful malls. Food is booming, but they've learned anyone who wants to set up a professional food business has to get past bureaucratic red tape and incur huge startup costs. The food business can be risky, daunting, and out of reach for the average Kenyan, and they have Chuklua254. And uh, you can help them bring this to life over there at the website of Indiegogo.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. Search 
Chuck Lua 254. And we'll spell that for you. C-H-A-K-U-L-A, the number two, the number five, and the number four. And tell them you heard about it here. All Transmedia Worldwide. We've got Donald Bazella and Dan Perkins with us today. And, of course, as everybody knows, uh, we have often interesting conversations between these two gentlemen each and every week on our program. And um, last week we had Don start the conversation. So I'm going to let Dan start the conversation this week. Uh, Dan, what do you have for us today, my friend? Uh-oh. They're already arguing. <laughs> Go. Uh, in one of my past lives, I spent time in Nairobi, and I have to tell you, some of the finest food I ever ate in my life. Awesome. Was in Nairobi. Awesome. <laughs> you know, and I know the they're talking about, and, and she's really doing a wonderful job. That's cool. That's cool. Well, we, that that's the thing. We on this program, we have all sorts of advertisers, all sorts of listeners from all over the planet. So it's uh it's very interesting and that's cool that we've got a little uh, connection there with with this Indiegogo campaign. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, Don. So, so Jim, let me ask you a question. Yes. Before we get to the subject matter. Yes. Indiegogo is, is that a crowdfunding? That's one of those crowdfunding campaigns. What what they do is they is they provide you uh, the ability to promote your your crowdfunding. They give you set the goal. They give you a certain amount of, of time. Like on on this one, they have about twenty five days left, and uh, if they can make their money. They get their money, but part of the problem with Indiegogo is that some, sometimes Indiegogo will take a percentage of what's raised. So you have to, when you get in there and set up your campaign, let's say you're trying to raise $5,000, well, they'll take 324 of it. <laughs> so you need, you need to set up your goal of being 5,324. So you know that sure. they'll take theirs and you get yours. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting okay. deal. Okay, super. Um, what we what we've decided about today is that that I wanted to give you three examples okay. of where where the world for not only for you but for your audience where we think the world has become an even more dangerous place. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about the helicopter that was shot down the Mexican border in the United States, they think, by drug cartel. Oh, uh, really? John's going to talk a little bit about the Chinese Navy building, virtually creating an island in the Pacific to uh, threaten uh, Taiwan and the rest of the Middle Eastern, or, uh, Eastern nations, um, Asian nations, excuse me. And then if we have time, we want to talk about a, a, a release today that uh, was from Breitbart about the significant acceleration of people coming across the border, the volume to the point that a border secure agent, uh, border crossing agent right now, has to process 70 people an hour. Holy smokes. Which means it's, it's less than one a minute. So, anyway, um, let's talk about um, something that's more current than what Don and I want to talk about, and just as a brief <laughs> comment. Yes. Uh, I'm sure your newswires are full of chatter about the fact that the Senate was evacuated today and the entire West Wing of the White House was evacuated today yep, yep. based on uh, threats from unknown people. 
And rather than take a chance, they have just plain evacuated both the Senate and the West Wing. They didn't say anything about the House, but they did say that the Senate and the West Wing. What was, what was interesting was that um, I was talking to my publicist today, and he told me that he had an individual, one of his clients, on the Fox News this afternoon as this story was breaking, and what he, this person said, who is um, uh, also a terrorist expert, that this is the first time that he has seen such a massive evacuation of the entire West Wing of the White House and the Senate, and he said that based on the, the magnitude of the evacuation, there must have been a real scare in Washington, D.C. Uh, I have not seen anything more, whether they found anything, whether they've opened the Senate or not. Maybe you've seen something more recently than I have, Jim. But, again, it fits into the theme of today. Um, the world is becoming and America is becoming um, uh, a, a place of, of great danger. And I think that that's, that's a very important theme because we've had all of this migration across the border. Uh, one of the big stories today was the the Democrats, if the Supreme Court uh, turns down uh, Obamacare because of the uh, subsidy, that uh, the Democrats are going to try and blame this on the Republicans. And, and the issue here is is not really Obamacare. The issue is um, whether or not we have a, a constitution. Uh, the president was criticized dramatically today uh, for his comments at the G7, which were construed to be intimidating to the Supreme Court trying to influence the outcome of their decisions over the next days, which will have a dramatic impact. So that that we even have the President of the United States uh, trying to intimidate to become a terrorist for his agenda in the Supreme Court. The idea, however, that the violence at the Mexican border has turned to the shooting down of aircraft uh, whose job is to patrol the border as best they can escalates the the amount of violence that's going on at the border the true wild wild west and that there are not enough border security agents in order to try and enforce the border what concerns me is that the court in the next 30 days and we've talked about this on on the show a couple of times the court is about to rule on the constitutionality of the president's executive order changing the immigration policy of the United States without congressional approval. Uh, I, I said uh, last week, and I think the quote from Mr. Mozella from you know, your mouth to God's ears, um, that I, I think that he has a chance of losing all three situations in the court. Um, and and so the question becomes, if he loses his, his border crossing, his immigration policy executive order, what happens to all of those people who thought, as it said in the paper today, when you crossed the border, you were free in America? What happens to those people? They have now are not free. And um, if, if the court rules against the president and his executive order, we have a lot of people in this country who are going into the shadows 
and who knows what they're going to turn out to be. I think it's very, very disturbing that an American helicopter was shot down at the American border. And they got away with it. Nobody's been arrested. Uh, And as a result, uh, Mexico last year in trying to support the United States when there were this hundreds of thousands of people were crossing the border, started to do some things to try and secure the border. The problem is they quit doing it. And so now we have this new influx coming in. But now they're not sure whether or not they're going to be free. And that's going to create some tension, and, and all the people that are here who thought they were going to be free because they made it across the border, they find themselves in a very precarious position. I suspect that there's going to be even more violence at the border, and we're going to see um, people die at the border. They could be illegals. They could be Border Patrol. They could be people in aircraft trying to patrol the border. It's a very, very dangerous situation. Unfortunately, our national media is not doing much to cover it, um, and uh, it creates a situation where we've got... um, extreme vulnerabilities um, and we can talk about the, the, the problems of processing, just processing the people um, that's happening right now. But the most, the most important thing is the fact that they, they, have, they have emboldened themselves to attack American helicopters as they're doing border patrol. Well, first, uh, let's, let's be frank about it. The border has been uh, wild west for about 20 years. If you go along the border and look at the ranches, the abandoned ranches, the uh, murdered ranchers, uh, I I think uh, I read a a statistic uh, about three months ago that in Texas and in Arizona, um, more than 50 ranchers have been killed by uh, coyotes, the the term for the people who bring uh, uh, immigrants across the border. uh, over the last three years, uh, it's a it's a story you you rightly said Dan that hasn't been covered by the national media, but it has been covered by the local media, uh, by the local little papers which still exist in the Arizona, Texas, and uh, uh, by the way the California border. Um, you know there's been violence there uh, for many years. Uh, I say 20 years, it's at least 20 years that I cut uh, once the murder there, rancher murder. And if you look at the, the, the uh, swath of abandoned ranches along there, uh, you, you know the problems there. Uh, I think um, uh, uh, that, that we're going to find out uh, there's been a kind of a truce, an understanding between the, the Border Patrol and the various factions there that uh, violence to each other uh, was not um, uh, permitted. It was kind of like a, a Christmas truce. But I think this uh, violated it. And uh, perhaps, uh, Dan, it might also be uh, a manifestation of what you've always worried about, a group trying to move uh, a lethal uh, a weapon of, of terror across the border and the Border Patrol happened to stumble on it or, or equally might have been uh, trying to intercept. I think there's a lot more to that story um, 
uh, I missed it today. I, I was working on something else, but I uh, and I'm I will hit my sources uh, this week and see if we can have something for next week. But uh, uh, you're right about the Wild West. You're right about the resurgence of uh, uh, people. But I'd also like to point out that we, uh, yes, we might have terrorists infiltrating, but basically we have people coming here for the same reason they've come for over 300 years, which is for a better life. You know, and uh, I firmly believe that uh, we have to develop a mechanism to take this uh, vast army of uh, people and leaving aside the children, which I think is a, another issue, the people who come across and who work hard to tr send money back to their families, to send uh, uh, to build a better life. And if you look at the statistics for uh, uh, these immigrants, many of them are not Mexicans, but rather coming from further uh, south from America, where th conditions are really getting worse. Uh, we've neglected, we being the media, we being perhaps the American people, have neglected how uh, the quality of life over the last uh, 20 years has seriously um, uh, deteriorated in the Central American uh, uh, republics or countries, and some of them are no longer. Just one example is Costa Rica, which used to be a haven for Americans and which had a, a stable government, had, had a stable economy, and is today a basket case. Uh, we, uh, Dan, your theme is absolutely right. Right now, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, and, and we seem not to be able to focus our energies on, on developing ways of uh, <coughs> uh, ameliorating all of these conditions, uh, whether they're in South America, whether they're in Venezuela, or in other parts of the country. Uh, Nairobi is a great example. That was a model. You, you might call it a colonial model, but it was a model of, of stability. And now you have a country with rampant inflation, uh, a despot government. Uh, we, we have problems all over the world. And unfortunately, we have a president who seems to uh, be his own world as to exactly uh, what to do about it and what thinks that rhetoric will take care of everything. And I'll stop there. So what, one of the things that I, I, I somewhat disagree with you, sir, uh, rare that it does happen. Occasionally <laughs> do. Um, people, people are coming in from uh, Nicaragua and Guatemala and El Salvador uh, and other parts of, the, of the Central and South America. But because of their proximity to the border, and we I think we talked a little bit about this last week, the custom an immigration department is now telling people who have legally applied for entrance into the United States that the time before they can be processed could run anywhere from 24 months to 30 years. And so my concern is that are, are we making a decision about Central America when there are clearly, as you've already articulated, other parts of the world that are in, in terrible shape, 
but we're expending all of our our immigration dollars and support on the hundreds of thousands of Hispanics who are coming across the border and taking away the legitimate applications of other people from other parts of the world who would like to also taste that freedom. Why are we allowing illegals to come in, squander the openings that people who are trying to come into this country legally, why are we denying people who are trying to live within the legal process in favor of people who simply walk across the border and because of the conditions of the countries we've talked about in Central and South America are seeking asylum. Well, the other people in other parts of the world who are also trying to get here because they want the American freedoms are now being denied that opportunity, the legal process, by an illegal process. And that, quite honestly, as you can tell in the tone of my voice, that really bothers me that that we have not only created a culture that's supporting that for various reasons, but we're abandoning the melting pot. We no longer become the melting pot that we were if the predominance of the immigration coming into the United States is illegal, uneducated, poor, and unskilled. That doesn't give us great melting pot opportunity to expand. Now, I know that some corporations are looking for uh, special uh, visas for people with certain skills from other parts of the world to come in. But if you bring into your country the poor and wretched refuse from around the world, where do you create the opportunity for America to be a better place? When we are expending our dollars of taking care of people that are here illegally and other people who have applied under the legal process of immigration are being denied. There's something fundamentally wrong there. Absolutely, and it's our politicians who have, uh, uh, in effect, ghettoized uh, the the Hispanic population uh, for their own political ends. Uh, That, to me... Uh, if this started about 35 years ago, uh, 35 years ago, uh, when we uh, politicians realized that, as uh, other politicians did with the Irish, with the Italians, with the Polish, with the uh, Germans, that if they uh, created enclaves, they could uh, develop a base of power in which to exercise po- political uh, uh, leadership. But the re- but the problem was that. Uh, the Hispanics simply overwhelmed us. It started with the Cuban uh, uh, exodus in 1960, and politicians realized in in Florida and other places that, uh, uh, by the way, the best of the Cubans came in that first uh, uh, exodus from Cuba after Castro, and now we have, um, and and they built up uh, a political system but now uh, others took advantage of it in New York and other cities, and they kind of let things happen. Now the, the uh, genie is out of the bottle. You now have, what is it, 20, 21% are Spanish-speaking in this country, 
and we didn't force them to learn English then. We, 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 didn't, we didn't force them to assimilate into the culture like we did with Absolutely. the Germans and the Italians and the French yep. Yep. when they came And in. the Polish. Right. Right. We, we All developed the ESL courses. Yeah. Right. We, we, well, we, 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 well, we had a whole period from 1929 to 1960, which was called the period of assimilation, for that very reason, to get those people who were from Eastern Europe or Western Europe or wherever they came from in Europe with different languages and cultures, having them a chance to come in and fit into the culture, understand the language, the laws, and the language of America. But we're no longer doing that, and we're, we're bringing no, people we're in not. by the hundreds of thousands with no requirement. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about all the Spanish television and radio stations and the Spanish magazine. That's not helping people assimilate. Joe, uh, Jim, we need to take a uh, break. Yes, we do need to take a, a quick time out here, and when we come back, we're going to keep chatting with Donald Mazzella and Dan Perkins. Fantastic conversation today. I'm so glad these guys hit it on the head when it comes to the assimilation thing because I find it so strange that they, they, the Latin folks can come over here and they still got their Mexican flags. They've still, still got everything else. We didn't do that with the Germans. We got more coming up on the other side. Are you ready for the newest sizzling? Radio show host included in the book, Talk Radio Wants You. Welcome back to our big broadcast, 34 minutes after the hour. We've got Donald Mazzella with us today, and of course, Dan Perkins from TheHill.com. Gentlemen, we've got uh, a couple more interesting topics. Let's let's cover those. Uh, Don, you... Well, Dan's going to let me start off. Yes, you go ahead and jump in there, sir. Um, As the audience probably knows, they're building... Uh, many islands in uh, in the South China Sea. They're projecting their uh, naval forces uh, outward from the South China Sea and from their local waters, and building and trying to build a blue water navy. And it is going to be a, uh, the, uh, for the next ten years. It will be the main focus of America. It was of American naval uh, units. Developing a counter uh, poise, to, uh, counter post to them. Uh, r- right now, uh, uh, China launched 287 ships last year for their navy. They're, they are uh, trying to develop what uh, is called a deep water navy because they've been primarily in their uh, home waters. But they're also trying to extend, and they've done it for the last five years, their control of the oil deposits off of Vietnam, uh, the mineral deposits uh, off of the Philippines. They're trying to intimidate the, uh, uh, the rest of Asia with their uh, growing naval capability. And it's going to be a challenge. Uh, five years ago, President uh, Obama announced that the Navy was going to shift its emphasis from the North Atlantic to the uh, uh, Western Pacific. Unfortunately, all that he's managed to do is to uh, make some uh, uh, minor token changes. Uh, Also, don't forget uh, Formosa, or Taiwan, 
uh, for most, it was for most when I was growing up, still is a relatively independent uh, area. But the Chinese uh, still consider it part of China. It's interesting, when uh, President Nixon went to China twice, uh, the one topic that they did not discuss was uh, Taiwan. It was uh, you know, very far-ranging uh, discussions on a lot of issues. They never really touched on that one. And the Chinese have never forgiven uh, President Eisenhower and the American Navy for when they attempted to take over uh, those islands islands in the early 1950s, President Eisenhower sent the uh, 7th Fleet through the Straits of Formosa. Uh, it is a very interesting thing. They teach uh, every Navy con uh, naval cadet in China about that incident. And right now, uh, China wants to deny the ability of the 7th Fleet to do that again. And, and within five years, we will see uh, another threat China thinks it can take over Taiwan peacefully, but they also are going to test the American Navy. Uh, uh, in, in the 1950s, it was gunfire to gunfire. Today, it's missile to missile. <clears throat> I think what's really significant is the fact that the, the Chinese have launched more um, nuclear and non-nuclear subs than any five nations combined, including the United States. So we have a real problem looming in the Western Pacific. We also, uh, Australia is just in the process of ordering four new uh, submarines and uh, at least five new anti-submarine uh, ships. Uh, uh, the Philippines are suddenly discovering that they're a little naked. Uh, Singapore is out there feeling very uh, uh, vulnerable. And don't forget, 40% of the world's oil uh, uh, moved through the uh, Straits of, uh, of Hermuz. And uh, if the Chinese act, as they, if you look at how they consider the South China Sea, they, they, they feel that they will have the power to block that. Uh, all of that means that at some point the United States will face a uh, enemy, and make no mistake about it, China's an enemy. Uh, they just took eight million uh, names from our own uh, 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 homeland security database. There, there is a growing threat out there. If we're not aware of it, uh, we should be. And if we don't start taking countermeasures, we should be. And that's my start point, Dan. Yeah, I, I I think that the the last part of what you said is that 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 if this was simply a nation building a navy, a physical navy, meaning ships and docks and artificial islands to extend, that would be a different strategy on how we as a nation and our allies would work to keep that in check. However, when you add to that. <coughs> the expertise of the Chinese government and their minions in cybersecurity attacks. Uh, not only did they get the, uh, the, they get the IRS numbers, uh, in a recent breach they also got uh, thousands and thousands of people from Homeland Security. Uh, and, and so that we, we really, we're being at right now 
on the home front through uh, the Internet and through technology that is not only attacking the country, but quite honestly, I believe, attacking the infrastructure of the United States to try and gain as much information as they can about our technology and about what's going on in the United States, especially in the military. And so what we have here is a situation where we have a president who is so obsessed with what's going on in the Middle East, he can't see any other part of the world, including the Mexican border in the United States, or for that matter, the city of Chicago, his home country, uh, with all the killing that's going on there. Uh, and, and so the, the Chinese, having now the largest economy in the world, um, are feeling uh, strong. There's something in their chest, and they're not yet daring America to come after them or challenge them, but uh, they're becoming more and more emboldened every day as we go through. So that the next president, whoever he or she's going to be, is going to have to confront this threat on two fronts, both militarily and cyber, um, against China. And I'm, I'm concerned that we as a nation um, do not understand that both the physical threat and the information technology, the Internet threat, uh, because all we're hearing about is what's being reported. We don't know. <clears throat> what did you tell me last week, Don, about your website? Oh, it's under, what happened attack. it's under attack. But, Dan, let me tell you an interesting thing that just came across, that uh, President uh, Obama has just uh, two-thirds of all the government websites do not have uh, stringent security protocols, and he just ordered now, seven years into his presidency, that they have to, within the next two years, beef up their security. It just came mm -hmm. across the wire. I mean, well, it, uh, it, this is a man who doesn't have the ability to see the bigger picture. And as long as we have no internet security in our facilities as, as it relates to the government, the hackers will continue to go after them. And well, the hack, yeah, the, the hackers will go are going after everything, and it's a cat mm -hmm. and mouse game as as I've been seeing it for the last two weeks. But it's right. very interesting. Uh, the the, the th thing to keep in mind apparently is that we still uh, ha have the uh, the upper hand on all of this. But don't mm -hmm. forget, the president has also done something else. America has been in control of the Internet, and he is, in effect, giving up that control. He wants that to be an international group rather than what it is now, which is everything is domiciled here in the United States, and control right. of that. It, that's mm -hmm. a highly technical issue, which I, quite frankly, have never, still do not quite understand. But ICANN, which assigns uh, your websites and does all of the other protocols, is, uh, is on its way to being an internationalized where other people will have uh, a say in how it operates. And that, to me, is, is, the single, is the single worst thing in terms of the Internet that this president has ever done. 
it is um, scary what this what this president has done. I I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that, that it's important for all of us to understand that and this is my opinion. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not forcing it on you. If you want to join, you can, <laughs> or, or Jim. But I, I believe that the president's mission over the remaining time in the White House is to transfer as much of America's power to international agencies and diminish our capacity uh, as a nation. I think that's part of his strategy, and that's why... I wouldn't be shocked at all. He wants to move the Internet. You will find more and more stuff. There, For example, there's, there's discussion in Washington that the president will move the Iranian nuclear talks into the U.N. and have it be a U.N. resolution as opposed to a treaty that the Congress would have to approve. I think I've you're going to see that more and more of them. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. You, you're, Dan, everything you just said is absolutely correct. Uh, right. I couldn't agree with you more. No, I wish Do I, I could disagree that, with you. Out of <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the point is that to follow up with what, what, what Donna is saying is, I think the president realizes that his mission now is to move the uh, the power of the United States to the global stage. We are a village, and everybody is in the responsibility. And the problem that I have with that, that is that not everybody in the village is necessarily a good guy. The president seems to think that everybody is good, and he should uh, he should uh, bring America to the world stage by yep. giving away its uh, whatever power. Bring him under the big uh, tent. The Bring him under the big tent. Bring him under the big tent, basically. Right, uh, sure. Well, <laughs> that, whatever progressives uh, believes that somehow if we, uh, we share, everybody will be good. Isn't that what a progressive thinks? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what the president thinks. And, and that, and that if, if I give you uh, two pieces of bread, uh, you won't uh, want my two pieces of bread. If you think of right. it that way, that's that's how progressives think. You know, they think that by giving people, <laughs> right, by giving people yes. things, they will not uh, um, uh, want things. Which is, you know, the it more is. you give people something, the more. Uh, what are the, the old saying? Uh, you give them a finger, they'll take an arm. Yes. That, that, <laughs> yes. That's what's happening in the world uh, for progressives. And by the way, well, I and, still and, don't believe. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. No, you, you don't believe. You don't believe that Hillary's well, going to run. Right. <laughs> well, if you look at the numbers, you, you have to say to yourself, I mean, who, who, if you follow the polling data. Over 50% of the people think she's a crook. Over 50% of the people don't trust her. Who's the doctor? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I know that there are people who say, who apparently uh, believe, and I think it's a, it's a function of more than anything else than what you just said, is that there is a huge number, we think close to 50% of the population in the United States, is dependent upon the government for its survival. Hillary would be a continuation, so they may not disagree with, they may not agree with her, they may not like her stance on money and fundraising and all that other well, stuff. Well, let me let me just tell but, you, uh, let me just tell you one story. She's having this <coughs> big uh, kickoff her campaign on Roosevelt Island in in uh, New York City. Uh, I think this is coming. 
but uh, to do it, they had to displace a, uh, a children's program uh, that, that had been scheduled for six months. And they displaced this children's program from uh, June to September just to accommodate her. And why? Yeah. Because a friend of hers ran, runs the conservatory, which runs the Roosevelt Island Park System. Roosevelt right. Island in the East River. I mean, right. talk about uh, in, being inconsiderate. You know, right. And they talk about how they, uh, the, the, the world's a village, and, and yet here they are displacing. They couldn't find any other place in New York City, of all places, to kick off a campaign that they had to displace a, a, a children's program. Right, and, and uh, the other thing is that she was going to have, is having an event that was for, uh, in New York City, that was supposed to be for 127, 125 women-only attendees. Yep. At $2,500 a plate. The invitation <laughs> yeah. went out, and they got 50 people to respond so now they've opened it up to men, but they haven't said how many people are coming. <laughs> so, um, again, she she's not allowing people to uh, to question her. She gets to do whatever she wants to do. And one guy said it kind of interestingly on the on the left. She said, he said, well, basically what Hillary's doing is acting like the president. She's not yep. taking questions. She's yep. going out and campaigning. Uh, to stage events, and she's not really talking to all the voters. She's not talking to the local press or the national press. She's not holding press conferences like President Obama rarely holds press conferences. So she's acting presidential so that she doesn't have to get involved because there's a grave concern that if she gets involved and opens her mouth, she might say some things that would be detrimental uh, to her ability uh, to uh, to win the nomination. So. We need another break, Jim. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to skip this. Uh, we're going to skip this break here, and uh, we're going to keep chatting since we've got about ten minutes left to go. I do. Uh, I, I do uh, want to get your guys' thoughts uh, quickly here, if we if we if we've got a little bit of time here on the upcoming Bilderberg uh, conference that's going to be taking place, I believe, in Austria. Um, it's it's the main headline on the front of the Drudge Report. Um, a lot of the conspiracy websites, Alex Jones and Infowars, a lot of these folks are covering it. What do you guys think of this Bilderberg thing? Is is this the big secret society that everybody makes it out to be, or uh, what, what? What do you guys think about Bilderberg? I, I have to tell you, I've not even heard a single word about that till you just mentioned. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I'll, I, I'll be frank. That's okay. That's okay. Go ahead. Help me, Dan. You can't, you can't know everything, Don. <laughs> uh, so, well, we're um, supposed to, Dan, you and me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, the, the, this organization, this Bilderberg, uh, has a long history, uh, actually going back to uh, the Second World War, as to... Uh, uh, an elite society of people who it's it's much like the the Council on Foreign Relations in the United States. It's one of those organizations that tries to figure out 
what's the right thing for people to do in the world. They tend to be uh, a lot more liberal uh, than some of the organizations, but they are radical in their thought processes, and uh, they very much are progressive, uh, much like the progressive in the United States. In fact, maybe even more progressive, because remember that Europe has been progressive for a long, long time. Uh, as to the whether there's the, the a conspiracy, I don't know whether there's a conspiracy. I mean, uh, any time two people get together, I guess you could have a conspiracy. Um, but it's a group of people that are basically left-leaning who have uh, a belief that they have been given a special talent from God. Uh, doesn't want to admit that there's God, but a special commitment from God to, uh, to make sure that the world is governed properly and that they're involved in the process and their objectives are, are what is the, the policy. Uh, so they're, they're a think tank, they're a policy tank, they're are, they are people that, um, how can I say this, that are full of themselves and the belief that they know what is right for the world. Yes. As some people have called them. Um, but I think they're so enamored with themselves, I don't see them necessarily being any threat to the world. Is President Obama a member? <laughs> I don't believe so. No, but Hillary now, Clinton yeah. is going to be attending the Bilderberg yeah, Conference sure this year. like him. <laughs> is he being paid to appear? <laughs> is he getting an appearance fee? <laughs> uh, uh, no, definitely thinks he's directed by God and thinks he knows better than the rest of the world and wants to impose it. Isn't that him? Right. I mean, <laughs> what you described is him. Well, I understand, and, and that's, you know, if you if you think about it, um, while I understand your characterization of you thinking of it as being Clinton, but in all due respect to you, sir, I think it's a more of a of Barack Obama. Yes. Oh, I Clinton I had enough. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I meant President Obama. Okay. Oh, you did I say Clinton? Clinton? Sorry. I thought, I thought that's what I heard you say when you saved Clinton. But, you know, um, he has this, uh, this belief that he, um, he has this mental superiority, that he um, is above the Constitution, he's above the law, and he, in fact, is the, the person who reigns with the scepter, who decides what's going to happen. And... Uh, a lot of people have let him get away with that, um, and they don't really understand. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I was shocked of the of the overflow crowd that was in Iowa, which I always thought was a conservative, but the the, the Democratic challengers, O'Malley and the guy from Vermont or wherever he's from, the old guy. They were drawing huge crowds. In fact, drew more crowds than Hillary in in Iowa. Uh, um, and so, uh, it, it, I, I'm just surprised. Uh, but I did see where um, who's the old guy? I can't think of his name. I'm drawing. A Are you thinking Bernie Sanders? Is that what you're thinking Bernie of? Bernie Sanders. Thank you, sir. Sanders. Um, what uh, Bernie Sanders is. The last poll that I heard about. He's like three or four points away from Hillary, isn't he? Right, right. <laughs> Which is not necessarily a, a great thing for either one of them, but, <laughs> but uh, 
the idea that she she would uh, how do you consider yourself if, if, if how do you pull the lever in a majority when over 50% of the people think you're honest and you're truthful because if, if they believe elect- Go ahead. they believe that they they could ignore most of the states and win with California, Florida, and and the blue states. They, they really believe that. Uh, there was a very interesting piece in the in the New York Times this Sunday about how the, uh, the their plan is to do exactly what uh, President Obama did, uh, and and they're they're focusing on getting people out. They're not looking for the independent vote. They're not looking for the Republican vote. They just think if they can get their people out in, in record numbers, they can win uh, the Electoral College and possibly the, uh, the popular vote. But, but it was a very fascinating piece buried in the New York Times, but if uh, uh, laying it out. Uh, and, and don't forget, no president has had a majority since Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. uh, in the popular vote. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here. But but they believe, their campaign believes, that they can, if they can galvanize the black vote, if they can galvanize their uh, liberal uh, base, and perhaps win over some of the labor vote, they can win the election. Because they do not they, believe they can win it. That's it. I, I'm finished. Okay, I was just going to say that there's a, there's a black a couple of black pastors in Chicago who have come out and been extremely critical of the president and his inability to find work for young black people. Um, <clears throat> I think that the black community is finally going to wake up, I hope, and understand what has he done for us for the last seven years, eight years? Nothing. What has the Democratic Party done for us? Nothing. So I think that's going to happen. <clears throat> Jim, I want to, can I take one minute? Yes, go go ahead, my friend, and then and then we'll talk about what we're doing tomorrow. I was telling Don during the break last Friday, my wife and I were fortunate to visit the Walter Reed uh, National Military Hospital, which is the hospital of the Department of Defense, and we visited with them on our songs and stories for program, and we are involved. They have, they took 225 of our MP3 players. But what was amazing is that the unit, the, the hospital is, is the hospital of the Department of Defense. So all the military, regardless of the branch of service, uh, gets treatment at, at Walter Reed. <clears throat> the old Walter Reed used to be just the Army. The new Walter Reed, which took over the Bethesda Naval Hospital space and a huge expansion. But anyway, we were there, and the units that we're working, the unit in the hospital that we're working with are people that, the doctors and nurses and physical therapists and everybody else who deal only with special operations, meaning they deal with, and these are all active duty wounded, Navy SEALs, airborne, uh, paratroopers, special forces, special ops, Marine Corps, whatever. <clears throat> That's what these people do. And we had a chance to go around to the hospital and meet a number of wounded soldiers. And I was telling <clears throat> Don, we met this young man on the pod who was uh, a triple amputee. He lost both of his legs and his left arm. And he knows he can't go back to combat, but he would like to be able to go back and continue to serve. And we heard that everywhere. 
<laughs> as we went through the hospital complex. People really wanting to be, still wanted being involved and engaged, even though they they don't have all their limbs anymore. It was the most inspiring and encouraging uh, tour that I've ever spent in all the hospitals I work with, and we're so excited about having on our on our team now uh, Walter Reed Military Hospital. Um, there's no, there's nothing better than we can do. We can't go any higher than Walter Reed, uh, but we can do a lot better with a whole bunch of other hospitals, and we think that Walter Reed will give us an opportunity to do that. Well, tomorrow is going to be an interesting show. We have IQ Al-Rizzoli joining us, and we are also going to have, uh, last I knew, Dan Perkins and Donald Mazzella joining us tomorrow. And then for right. the, for the first 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to be chatting with another author who is also going to join us that day. And um, this this gentleman's name is Stephen Coughlin. He's the uh, author of Catastrophic Failure, Blindfolding America in the Face of Jihad. He's a top intelligence analyst on Islam. He exposes the roots of the global jihad and outlines our enemy's long-term strategies. So we're going to be talking, basically, it's going to be just a circus tomorrow for the first probably 20 minutes of the show <laughs> but we've got we've got plenty we've got plenty of balloons and clowns and everything for everyone so <laughs> that will be tomorrow and uh, Don before we let you go how do we access you online my friend how do we get hold of you uh, right now only hashtag 2SB digest hopefully we'll be up and running with small business digest mag.com. As uh, soon as soon as we uh, we uh, beat off this attack, uh, hashtag two SB Digest. Bear with us till we get through with this. And of course, uh, Dan, you you have your articles over at the Hill and uh, some of your other yes, places. Yes, we had a brand new one that was posted yesterday morning, and you can go to thehill.com and do a search for Dan Perkins. Um, of course, the website for the soldiers is Songs and Stories for Soldiers. And the book's website is Dan Perkins, the word at, A-T, Sanibel, S-A-N-I-B-E-L dot com. And thank you for all your help. Definitely. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys tomorrow, and uh, we are going to make this happen. So I will uh, I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thanks for being with us, gentlemen. Thank Have you, sir. Day. Take care. Bye. Appreciate it, guys. Donald Mazzella, Dan Perkins, and that is that. We are going to take a time out and come back with more here in the world-famous Chicken